Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I am hosting another show and tell. With me tonight, I have two members of the team, maybe the only two members, I don't know, we'll figure it out, of Endless Realms, a new RPG that's coming to us from Lunar Games. So I have Kirsty, who is uh, wears many hats, but goes mostly by the boss lady, and then Sherman, who would be the lead designer of Endless Realms. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Oh, very excited to have you here. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, we're going to do a show and tell tonight. There's going to be an actual play, what we call a trial of the game, which will air right after this. And then we do a recap show at the end of all that. So there's going to be a whole bunch of Endless Realms over the next couple of weeks for the show. Uh, so today we're going to learn about it from the design standpoint and the Kickstarter. And then basically tomorrow or the day after, you'll be able to hear us actually play a game with Sherman as the DM. It was a great game. I had a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to learn about the game. So let's start with you, Sherman. Where did the idea for Endless Realms come from? Uh, that actually comes from Kirsty and Dan. Okay. Endless Realms was originally my idea because we played a lot of Pathfinder back in the day. And my biggest problem is because we moved from Pittsburgh back to Vancouver, Canada. And I couldn't get any of my friends to play role-playing games because they would see the core book. They would get intimidated and afraid and be like, I don't want to do this. This is too complicated. So that was really like hard because I couldn't get any friends to play. I'm like, there has to be an easier way. And we looked at other systems and they all felt very similar and still very intimidating for my friends to play. So we kind of just like, let's create our own. And then one thing led to another. And then we somehow found an artist. And then a year went by, we got like a real writer and stuff kind of just went that way. And now we're up to four writers, one artist, uh, myself and Sherman. So it's kind of like growing that way. It is funny how things snowball like that. I mean, like most of the time when you have those weird ideas, it's a good thing if you don't pursue them. But here it sounds like it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's kind of like a carrot. like I really need to do something, but I'm not really like sure what to do. And then it's like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to see it through. And like one idea led to another and here we go. And I didn't want to do the traditional fantasy route because... It's overdone, in my opinion. Like, everyone defaults to elves and gnomes because it's easy. It's easy to go back to what everyone knows. It's so much harder to innovate and create something new that doesn't exist. And that's what we really tried to do. Okay. And for my, my playtest, I, I, it really felt that way that that the, the game mechanics seem to be very simple. And I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory <laughs> way, but they're pretty simple. Uh, at least our experience. I'm sure there's more depth than we got to in our in our actual play. But it seemed like the majority of the weight of the design had been on the world. The you know even our little playtest we had a lot of depth to the the adventure that we were on, and then all of us had these different characters that were all these different races. And um, the what it what it felt like to me, and hopefully this isn't a bad uh, correlation, was Mass Effect that you have this all these different species that aren't you know, your typical elves and dwarves, and that kind of thing. But they felt like they'd been around for a long time, even though this was the first time I've ever met them. Right. And we spent probably about a year, a year straight and still even to this day, developing our lore and making sure everything felt real. The system itself, the combat system is as we wanted. We wanted someone to learn how to play in 10 minutes. And then for people who want the complexity of character building, and all that good number stuff, we built that into character creation. So all that complexity and things that people really want to stay around for is done through character building, not so much through the combat of like, oh, I have to roll more dice or 
all this other stuff. So combat is much more dynamic and fluid, but all the good stuff comes from character building. Yeah, and that's one thing we don't often get to do on the trials just by the nature of the beast. Uh, we almost always go with pre-gens, which is what I prefer for a trial because yeah. you know character generation can be a lengthy process and we have a limited amount of time. But is there anything specific about the character building process that you would like to highlight for someone who might be interested in what you mean by that? Um, yeah, so it's actually an uh, experience purchase system. You earn experience, much like in any other game, and then uh, instead of getting set things every time you level up and being heavily reliant on that you actually spend the experience to purchase different things like stat increases or save increases or um, increasing your talents so it's all kind of uh, basically focused around being building your character exactly how you want to build it so if you want a very talent heavy character you can be a talent heavy character regardless of whether you're a fighter or a wizard or any of those sort of styles of classes so Essentially, um, your character's growth and development is entirely based around what you want that character to be. And you do gain certain things from your classes, uh, basically more of ability style things. But as far as your character's progression itself goes, it's all kind of, it all comes down to how you want to build the character. Yeah, and one of the things that I love my spellcasters. One of the things I was always really disappointed is when spells crossed with other casters. It's like, oh, I can cast Blizzard, but but so can that class and that class. And I didn't really feel special when I played a lot of spellcasters. So all of our casters have their own spell books innate to them. They don't cross over. And the same goes with physical classes. So if you're a caster and you cast Elemental Magic... A dancer who casts Chaos Magic will never cast any of your spells, and you'll never cast any of theirs, so that you feel unique and you have a role to play. Which is great for me, because I also spellcasters are always my preferred class. I always go to the wizard first, which in the playtest, I played a spellcaster. And, so, and I like the fact that cause I play a spellcaster mostly because I want to be able to come up with creative solutions to mundane problems. <laughs> like that, that's what I enjoy most about um, role playing games. And, and I was able to do that. And I don't know how loosey goosey we were with the rules, but I had the ability. I call it Win Geyer. I don't know if it's Win Gyre. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, I was able to make a little tornado. And once I used it to jump down somewhere and I let, let, allow, allowed myself to land softly. To me, that's amazing. Like, I love that I can do those types of things with spells that they weren't designed that way, but it's not game breaking. Mm -hmm. right. So good job, Sherman. Let me do that because that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something we wanted to do with spells is have more spells that actually let you do things instead of just like adding more dice or more damage. Because I didn't want spells to ever be obsolete. I wanted a level one and two spell to still be fully functional if you're level 20. Because there's nothing worse than having a giant spell book, but then half your spells are kind of useless because you've outgrown them. So we have them progress as you level up as well. So your level one spells are just going to be as good as like your level 20s, in a sense, as you progress. I think even the one that we used, uh, it like when I hit once, it was a set number and then plus my level. Mm -hmm. So if I would higher level than that, obviously that number would have been higher. Um, so we haven't talked specifically about the system yet. So let's do a little bit of that. So it's a D10 system for the most part. You roll a D10 for pretty much everything that we did. How would you describe it to someone who doesn't know what it is yet? Like, you know, me. Yeah, so it's all D10 comparative. So you roll a D10 and it's regardless of what you're doing, you only need the one dice, and it's going to be rolled against another d10, uh, either from 
another player or another monster or in some cases just the GM for stuff like knowledge checks. So we wanted it to kind of um, be super simple and easy so you didn't have to have a giant stack of different dice and like kind of reach in for looking exactly what you need for this situation because you're rolling this sort of attack or this sort of thing. We wanted it to all kind of come down to just the one dice and the D10 just kind of felt like the the easiest means of doing that. And we wanted a comparative system just because it it always felt like if you're being attacked and like the, the, the GM just crits, you don't really have any kind of control. You just kind of sit there and you're like, ah, oh, well, I'm dead. Too bad. We wanted it to feel a bit more like you were still taking part regardless of what was happening. That as a player, you're always going to be involved in, in anything that kind of happens to your character. So the uh, the system th- that I, you know, again, I participated with uh, did a couple of things that I thought were really cool for a rules light sort of streamlined system. If you hit by a certain number, you did low damage. If you hit by a higher amount, you did high damage. You didn't actually roll the damage. You just had the different categories. And then you had that sort of roller coaster where I didn't roll very well and I'm kind of disappointed. But And you're like, oh, well, I rolled even worse. So you still hit. <laughs> Uh, or you roll well and you're like, I'm excited. And they're like, oh, sorry, I got better on my defense. So you, so there's a little bit of you know, fun in that, that moment of what's going to happen, which isn't to say it's better or worse because I roll a d20, I get a 20. I'm really excited <laughs> that you know, that doesn't go away. But I did, th- did notice that in the game that there would be times where I would roll fairly low and then you would roll lower. So then it was like, oh, okay, I mm-hmm. still hit. That, you know, that's kind of a cool little moment. Yeah. And then you also had the thing that if obviously if you crit, you get a, a static plus five, uh, which can help with numbers. That way, if we both crit, who wins in that case? Uh, but the other thing that I thought was really cool is that if you are if you have disadvantage, if I remember this correctly, then you don't add to the die. Or like if we were trying to roll like a knowledge check uh, and it was like a simple check, you just rolled the D10, you don't add anything to it, which I think is just super simple. I mean, honestly, it's, it's great. And I loved that. Yeah. Uh, also with failing, it's a negative five automatically, which is awesome because in one test we did, we had both the attacker and the defender fail critically, yeah. and um, he still managed to hit them, even though it was uh, <laughs> completely, you know, they tumbled and failed, but he still somehow hit the mushroom. Um, and that's the joy of it, is you can still fail and succeed, or succeed and fail, as strange as that sounds, which leads to more dynamic situations and much more amusing situations. Again, I... I had a lot of fun, so I can't argue with that. So we got character classes that kind of almost like provide a template to start, but then the characters can be developed in whatever way you want based off how you spend your experience. Uh, We know there's obviously martial attacks and there's spells, which are great. Uh, But one of the things we also like, all of our characters had some sort of ability or talent or feat. Is that built into the races to the classes or both? Or how does that come about? So with with races, we what I didn't like was giving stats to races because then people are pigeonholed. They're like, well, if I want to be a caster, I have to play this race because it's the best possible caster. That's not, it's not fun if everyone has to be an elf because, well, we're casters and they're going to be better. Or you have to be an orc to be a fighter. It's just, it's not fun. So what we did is we gave every race uh, talents or abilities that they can use. Like Dangus, they can always burrow. Um, they have dark vision. And, um, you know, they also have a vice, which is shiny lust. So when they see shiny things, they really, really want them. So it also helped develop the races to feel more real and complete and give you more options than just a stat bonus. 
so you brought up the vice. That's another thing that all of our characters had. We talked about it a little bit during the game that there isn't like an alignment system in the game, but every character has a virtue and a vice, which are not really mechanically affected, but they give the prompts to the person playing some role play cues. Um, so are those based off of the race or is like one of them based off of race or how do you so get to those? So in Endless Realms, we don't believe that anyone is truly good or truly evil. Everyone, even people, have good and bad traits. Just depends how far you lean. Even the worst people are capable of doing really nice things, depending on what it is. So we transition that over because we like to stay in the gray. It makes for more interesting characters. And with alignments, people don't really know how to play alignments. They think they're evil, that they have to kill everything. And, you know, it just gets a little funky. Um, so, yeah, everyone picks one race and one, vir oh, sorry, one vice and one virtue when they build their character. But some races do have additional vices or virtues depending on the race they pick. So what happens is when you go into certain situations, you may be prompted. So an example is in a test, we had to pull a wagon to prompt a ambush because we wanted to figure out who was raiding wagons. But our knight had the lazy vice, and he made a will save and failed. So he had to come up with this elaborate excuse how his back was hurt, and he couldn't pull this cart, and it was, it was just too much for him. And I had the helpful virtue, so I'm like, oh man, if your back is so sore, why don't you ride in the cart, and we'll pull you. So everyone else not so happy with that. But, you know, <laughs> it leads to those interesting role-playing situations far more than simply alignments do, which is what we wanted to see because we wanted an active social system as well as a combat system because we do have social encounters and combat encounters. So we wanted to make both equally as fun and engaging. All right. So, I mean, it, it all makes sense. It all works well together. How, how long now have you been working on this project? Uh, about four years. Okay. And again, we're ready to go to Kickstarter, <laughs> yeah. right? That, that's coming up. Uh, yeah, a little scared about that, but you know, I think that's you probably should be to a, it, It's it's a good scare, right. it's like an a anxiety, but it's a positive thing. Yeah. So, um, so I think the the plan is for this to come out right before the Kickstarter goes live, but something's gonna happen. So, what date will the Kickstarter actually? It will go live on April twenty fourth at eight a.m. Pacific, ten a.m. Central Standard Time, and eleven a.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, and when will it end? Oh, uh, 30 days after it starts. <laughs> 30 days after that, yeah. That's pretty standard. Um, so are you looking at the, the um, so again, we start over. What is it going to be in the campaign? Is it like a single campaign book? Is it multiple books for players and DMs? Like, what are we looking at as far as the actual physical product if we were to get a hold of it? Okay, so we have a core rule. So we're looking for funding to simply print um, so all our books need is just a simple run in InDesign for layouts and then printing costs. So we're only looking for $38,000 Canadian to print our books. Uh, we are printing a core book, which acts as a DM's guide and a player's guide combined, as well as a creature compendium, which has all your creatures to, well, fight. So there's about 250 of them. It'll, both will be around 320 pages, maybe a bit longer, full color, hardcover. We'll also have a short storybook, a DM screen, and a world map for add-ons. As our stretch goals go, we have, due to popular request, uh, classical Dengu poetry, uh, another short storybook. We have three adventures. We have some mini race books, so 
they'll dive. If you remember second edition, they had those little books about like the world of elves and it would dive into all the subsects, talk about all the types and everything. So that's what we're doing with our races as well. So you'll learn more about skitties, for instance, and the different types and how their cultures are different. And then you can play them and they'll have all the stats and everything you need to play everything in them. I think those are called the complete guides too. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's right. Something like that. All right, so 38,000 Canadian. I'm not good at conversion, but I'm going to guess that's like 42, 43,000 American. Sadly. Because I think at this point, the the exchange rate is in your favor instead of ours. I wish. No, sadly. Sadly, it's not. <laughs> oh, so, so so somewhere in there. Um, but, but your overall goal doesn't matter. It matters is how much it's going to cost me. Right. So if I want to jump in and actually get a copy of this, what, what am I going to be paying? A physical copy will be 50 U.S., for the core book and the bestiary each. So 50 each, not not combined. <laughs> okay. Um, so a single digital copy of the core book will be 15 US. And then for a pack, which would be your core book and your creature compendium for a digital thing will be 30 US. That's pretty standard for PDF prices, I think. Right. And then for physical, they're 50 US each. And then we have our, you know, our stretch goals got, we got some more digital storybooks because, I mean, everyone wants to know about stories. And then higher up, you can have your character featured as a protagonist or antagonist in a short story or adventure, a sketch of your character, and then everything unlocked in the campaign. And our big $1,000 tier comes with absolutely everything in the campaign. And you get a lifetime digital copy of everything we ever release. Oh, bold. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little scary. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, I, I priced that well. That one may change depending. Um, we got all the stuff. We actually also have a three-year production plan. So we don't plan to stop just at the base game. We want to go farther. We've got lots of ideas for expansions and adventures, campaigns, and all those good things. So yeah, it should be uh, interesting. What are you looking forward to most when you hit that big green button? Like, what's the first thing that you want to see? Other than, like, a whole bunch of people back, which is obvious, but... Fun fact about that, uh, we're leaving for Calgary uh, the day of my Kickstarter, so I get to hit that button while I'm in the car, Uh, and then we enter the Rockies, so we'll have no idea for, like, six, seven hours. That's probably best. Like, that probably will actually be a very, very good thing for you. Uh, the, The only thing I would challenge is if you have anybody else on the team that might be able to sit in for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, may, you may get questions, like people asking things that you they would want a response before six or seven hours. So if there's any way you could have someone, like if someone says, you know, is shipping included or not or whatever, having someone that can answer those questions right away would be a, probably a good thing if possible. Right. If not, make sure people know that you'll answer as soon as you can. Um, well, my husband and is taking that day off from work, so he'll be managing the campaign from home, and my head writer is also going to be managing it, so I will have two people to manage it for me, because we'll be at the Calgary Comic and Fan Expo for the next four, five days, so, yeah, that'll be fun. So another fun fact, the the FAQs, you can't actually pre-do those, you have to wait till the campaign (laughs) is live, which makes no sense to me, so you can't, like... You know, I'm assuming somebody will ask about shipping. You can't just go ahead and put that question in there. You have to wait till you go live, and then you get to put the question in there. But that's nuts and bolts, Kickstarter stuff people don't really care about. 
So going to be live for 30 days, looking for 38,000 Canadian, uh, 15 to 15 for PDFs, 15 to 50 for the actual hardback books. You talked about the bestiary. We didn't see any side of that. Like obviously, you know, Sherman ran out everything. Is that book mostly like fluff? Is it, you know, stat blocks? Is it a mixture of both? What is a, what does a monster look like in Endless Realms? Um, the, there is a stat block along with, um, the various abilities and statistics of the monster. Uh, those take up only about, I'd probably say like maybe a quarter to a third of the page. The rest of it is, um, we have a small little section for tactics for each monster. Basically what the monster kind of generally does in combat, how it might act, uh, when it might want to try and run away, things like that. And then the rest of it is all kind of, uh, the lore of the creature, because we wanted to make sure that like each of the creatures really felt like it had a place in like the ecology of the world, so that basically the world itself kind of felt alive instead of just having like, oh, that monster just like uh, kind of hangs out in woods and uh, acts weird sometimes. <laughs> as well as a pitcher. Oh, so does every monster have art? Yes. So we have over 250 creatures, all full color illustrated and ready to go. Now, I assume that when the Kickstarter is live, there will be some you know, images and maybe some links for the people who can kind of get an idea of what they're going to see. Is there anything that they can do ahead of time? Do you have like a website or Facebook page or something people could go early and get previews for anything? Absolutely. Um, our Facebook is the most up to date, which you can just look up as Endless Realms RPG. It has a nice little lunar logo of an Elmerin. Um, we post pretty much every day. We put some race features, some class features. We talk about cre creatures as well. So you can just go through that page and learn pretty much about everything we have currently um we also have a art gallery which i'll post the link to later and our website also has some stuff but in terms of like creature information generally our facebook is the most up to date with that so jumping around a little bit but I, my mind works that way so i apologize i want to go back to the game itself out of the kickstarter for a moment because one of the things that that i really enjoyed about the game is that all the races were very interesting and very distinct now, we played four players, so we had four different races that were represented. How many races are in the base game that people are going to get to start playing with? Uh, there is a base of nine races. Humans, so technically, I guess, eight different races. Um, we have the Almoran, which are a humanoid-rabbit hybrid. Um, they're immortal. They're kind of like nerdy librarians, really into research and books and all that and art. And art. They like that too. Uh, there's two types. There's a order and a chaos version. So the order ones are much more have to have rules and laws and all this stuff. The other chaos versions are much more free-flowing in what they do. We also have the Dangu, which were originally actually in our bestiary, but due to popular demand, they migrated to our core book. And they're a subterranean mole people. Uh, they love everyone. Uh, the light of the surface blinds them so they have to wear tiny little goggles or they can't see. Um, <laughs> they really like shiny things. Like It just makes them so happy. So they just want to like, have all these shiny, not like metal, but like gems and sparkly things. Um, then we have the Skitty, which are kind of like ferret, red panda creature <laughs> things. Sherman's favorite race he can describe them better than i can that's because uh skitty is best race uh yeah <laughs> they're they're very uh kind of uh easygoing um basically i if i remember correctly uh in one of their capital cities 
whoever's um, the, the mayor of the city kind of changes by day to day. And it's really just kind of whoever says like, I'll do it today. They're, they're really laid back and uh, kind of not super into, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're lazy. They're just, they're just really uh, easygoing. They also like to acquire things. So they like the challenge of stealing things, but then they don't like to keep the things they steal. They kind of just like toss it away or give it to someone else. But they like they like the challenge of like, can I get that gem that's in this hidden Magia museum? Maybe it's kind of their things. Uh, then we have the Ulvark here, which are wolf bear cats, humanoids. Wolf bear cats. Wolf bear cats. So wolf bear. we okay. part of our design was we didn't want anything to feel like a human with parts plunked on or just resemble something that we have on earth so we combined a lot of aspects into a race to give them unique body structures and a distinct look so they're a combination of wolf bear cats <laughs> they live in the arctic um best way to describe them is kind of like klingons where they're very honorable and warlike uh, they don't like things that aren't necessary so like artwork and that they seem them as like an unneeded thing to have like if it's a prize from like a battle like a tooth then then that's okay but if it's just like pretty painting nah no we don't like that but uh they're very uh honorable they live in tribe they have a whole entire society very strong um they have some enemies in the arctic which you'll find out about later uh but we're not going to talk about them yet then okay. we have the humans which actually originated from earth but they came through astral gateways onto loomis by mistake and they didn't really realize this till a long, long time later. Or maybe they don't realize it now. So they brought up some traditions with them there. Um, we also have the Ventelli, which are from the Dream Realm. They are literal nightmares from mortals that were dreamt up and conjured into sort of the perfect predator. So they have very limited emotions and they're very agile. Um, they came to Loomis to conquer and basically expand their territory, except it didn't really go as planned and they can't get back to the Dream Realm. So they're very much trapped in Loomis and having to now deal with really being there. And they've lost a lot of their original traits. Like they used to have telepathy and they've just degraded since they left the Dream Realm. So not really happy about that, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't really blame them. And then we have the Yakshi, which are... Children of the Yakar, which is a giant spirit tree, who, they're plants. Uh, they come in all shapes and sizes, kind of have that hive mind mentality where they can talk to each other and they'll like do whatever Yakar says, but they do have free will and can do basically what they choose to do. But they always will try to listen to Yakar because their whole goal is to protect it. So that's, uh, also came from another planet, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the Calamere, which come from Eternatus, um, which is basically a planet run. So because we don't truly believe in evil and good, we prefer to go with light and darkness. Uh, it is a planet of light and darkness with two sides of Aether and Koros, who constantly instinctually hate each other and because they both have different viewpoints and they fight a lot. The Calamere are the union of both light and darkness, except they don't have the desire to fight either side and they think this war is pointless. So because of that viewpoint, they got expelled from their home world onto Loomis and 
because of that, they had a much more military advantage because they saw the destruction and how to properly use warfare and the true power that spirits can give them. So they're very religious or spiritual in that manner, as well as very militaristic. So they do want to conquer and expand their territory and eventually go back to Eternatus and prove that they can stop that war. So that's a very interesting thing for them. And that's pretty much all our races. If you said uh, Silian, I missed it because that's oh, what I oh, played sorry. in the playtest. Nope, I forgot. Yeah, uh, the Silian are uh, kind of large reptilian people. Um, they generally live in fairly tribal societies. Uh, Silian who kind of venture out and journey out are usually looked down a little bit upon by uh, the rest of their, their tribe. Um, they're a very highly spiritual and matriarchal kind of a species, so... A lot of things are generally kind of run by the women, and um, they're definitely uh, one of our kind of more interesting races, just because for, for a lot of the races, we, as mentioned, we wanted to kind of do things differently than than what you'd kind of normally expect. Um, with the Cillian's case, they do lay eggs, except it's the males that like fertilize and hold on to them, kind of like seahorses. So females are generally much stronger and beefier. So it's a bit of a role reversal because they are the hunters, the gatherers, and the protectors. So they will, they are similar to Calamere in the way that they are militaristic, but they'll only defend their territory. They won't seek out more territory unless it's needed. So they'll defend to the bitter end, but they won't actively go out and conquer. Again, clearly there's been a lot of thought and time and effort put into developing the the world that this game exists in are they tied together like is this a game and a campaign setting are they completely together like m m maybe in the future there'll be new worlds or new races but use the same dice system well absolutely so the core book is a campaign setting game master guide and player's guide all combined into one so you pretty much get everything you need the way we structured our universe in is that Every realm is comprised of my planets, similar to Earth. So you could very easily have a planet that's steampunk or shadow or whatever you'd like, and we plan to explore all of that aspect. So we can pretty much do anything we want with our system as long as it stays in the same realm. Do you have a name for the system? Like, you know, like the age system or the D20? Like, do you have a name for it? Strangely, we have been debating this for a very uh, strangely long time, and we've had some very silly ideas, and for now we have uh, gone with the balance system, because we try okay. to balance everything out, be it uh, light, dark, chaos, order, elements, life, death, so it kind of was like an overreaching theme, because the overreaching theme of our game is really balance. So, And even with the the overall mechanical system um it's all kind of based around two different sides kind of like weighing their their final values against each other i like it you might you know you're not you're not locked in you still got <laughs> time. time um so i just had a question that popped in my head so you talk about the, the the core book is those three things how much of that book do you would you say is based off of teaching the mechanics versus the player's guide versus the campaign setting hmm um, and I wasn't like trying to put you guys on the spot. Just from what you were saying, I felt like the rules would be like three pages. The player's guide would be like 20 pages and like 
180 would have been campaign setting. <laughs> oh, we could probably go that far. But, well, we have put on a lot of, like, optional rules. Like, the rules to play are really easy, but if you really want things for, like, falling damage or, like, obscure rules, they're there to find and use. But, again, it all depends really what you and your group really want to use. So, like, grapple? How does grapple work? That's the one that always gets everybody. Um, yeah, it's basically just um, a nice, nice, small, little, easy... Uh, skill. Um, we actually have universal skills for all of the uh, classes, so regardless of what kind of class you are, everyone can kind of do certain things like grappling. With grappling, it's just an opposed... Uh, the, the attacker uses strength, and then the defender uses either their strength or agility, and just like everything else... It's agility else, to avoid it, and then if you do get grappled, it's just a comparative strength check to get out of it. Yeah. So, like everything else in the system, it's just a comparative role to kind of see whether or not you're kind of diving into being grappled or not. As far as actually being grappled, it does limit a few things, but we we really wanted to avoid having one specific kind of niche thing have this massive kind of rule set around it. So for the most part, we, we tried to avoid that with pretty much the entire game. Uh, a lot of things kind of fold back into the same sort of the same sort of kind of base rules that everything else uses just the d10 comparative system and degrees of success with like high and low damage and things like that um and then again i had one more thing that popped in my head something you said sparked a memory about our game and i wanted to touch on spirits no that wasn't it though if you'd like to talk about spirits you can so for the most part in our universe, gods, they exist to serve a purpose to explain how things were created, but they don't actively take a role in the universe or world at all. We've actually replaced that with spirits, which the easiest way I can explain them would be an equivalent to like Japanese kami. So a water spirit, forest spirit, a deception spirit, a wrath spirit. So they all have these things and it's a symbiotic relationship between them and the world because they come from the spirit realm and they're everywhere, and they want to accumulate energy to grow and become stronger and stronger. So they gain this by worship, or simply just gradually collecting the energy from whatever they represent. What can happen, though, if they are, if they take the life of a mortal and absorb their energy forcefully, or they go against what their core values are, they can become corrupted, and they lose their immortality, and they really can go sort of insane and just try to basically destroy everything. But they also kind of have like a spirit vampirism, so they can turn other spirits corrupt as well, which is why they're particularly dangerous. Um, they also, regular spirits, serve the purpose of creating magical items. So they give a portion of their power to create a magic sword, for instance, but it's still part of their power. So if they give it to, say, Sherman... Um, He's still bound to that spirit in a way because he's borrowing their power. So if Sherman dies and Craig here takes that sword, that spirit might not be happy and send something or someone after to retrieve that magic item. So there's a bit of risk and reward with simply finding random magic items depending on how strong they are because someone may want that back or be looking for that item. I like that. Uh, I remember what my question was. <laughs> and I, I feel too bad because I've jumped around on you guys so much. Oh, so it's sorry. all good. But I had some more mechanical things I want to touch on. Is One is that there is damage reduction. So when you're doing your comparative high damage, low damage, you have DR. You also have MR. So you have magic resistance, which just subtracts. So if I did 10 damage, you have DR3. You 
take seven. Uh, but the other thing was the movement and the action points that each round you have so many points that generate, you could use them to do things. So like a, a regular action is like seven move is like two or three. Um, so what was the, the design process behind doing that? Like what, what, what purpose do you think that serves? We actually played around with a, a lot of different things. Um, originally we were a bit more in the sort of D and D style of things with like you had uh, one standard action, one move action, and you could do these with them. Um, we eventually kind of moved away from that just because we wanted we wanted a lot of the times we just want players to have more options. So if you if you just wanted to blow all of your action points on doing like one small little thing just a lot of times, you're you're free to do that. Or if you wanted to kind of um, blow it all on just like your your big action and like a move, you can still do that. We we basically um we it, it's all just kind of coming down to giving players the option of doing things in the manner they want. Do those numbers ever change either based on level or race class combinations so you get more or less? Yeah, um, so the, the base is uh, 10 action points um, and then different types of actions cost different amounts. For the most part, most classes just stick with that base 10. Uh, some classes that are kind of meant to embody more kind of like agile, uh, multiple kind of attacker kind of classes, those ones do get more AP as they grow and can actually potentially do multiple attacks over the course of a round. Okay. So again, so I apologize for the jumping around, but I think we've got a lot of good information here. So the, the basis of the game is D10 comparative, which we're currently calling the balance system. Uh, very much a D10 for everything. And there's always a, a, a versus role, either from another character, an NPC, or this the GM representing the luck of the world. Whoever has a higher number wins, and that depends on, you can have like damage, you have low damage or high damage, depending on the attack, or a little bit of information, a lot of information. Uh, so it seems like it's a again, pretty simple, streamlined rule set with a lot of time and effort and energy put into all the various races and world building. Uh, you know, this is a, another world where humans have actually gone to. Uh, all these different races that are not based off of anything at least easily identifiable. Very interesting. I love the Versu and Vices system. I thought that was great for role-playing. Kickstarter goes live April... 24th. 24th. It will run for 30 days. We're looking for 38,000 Canadian. I don't know the the, the conversion, but somewhere in there. Uh, and we're looking at 15 for the PDF. So 15 and 15 for both. 50 for the actual book. 15 and 50. Is there anything else about Endless Realms or you personally or the company, uh, Lunar Games that you want to talk about if there's if there's a person that's on the fence they're like this is kind of interesting but i don't know if i want to give any money what's the one thing that you would want to tell them to be like okay no now i want to go and check this out we offer something different something not really done before and we want to continue making that we don't want to be the safe traditional route we want to keep making more interesting and unique products and we don't want to stop just at the core book we want to make a whole entire production line at the same quality and make everything just as interesting as unique that's really what our goal is is to just not start here but to keep going anything you would add sherman as far as like um simplicity of rules we actually managed to fit pretty much everything <laughs> rules wise onto the gm screen uh to the point where we actually kind of started running out of ideas for what we could actually add to it <laughs> yeah so it was that, a sad day 
<laughs> my artist is really good. Um, maybe a little too good in the DM screen at, uh, yeah. So we're like, here's the, the core stuff that we need to add in. And then it was just like, oh, yeah, that takes up like um, this tiny spot of the, the GM screen. We're like, that was four pages. Are you want more? I think it actually took us like two and a half weeks just to find stuff to keep putting on it. There's some obscure rules on there just because. Gotta put them somewhere, right? For the most part, for the most part, we tried to stick to stuff that GMs might like frequently use. And then we started going down the list of stuff that they might want to use on a moderate basis. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we will all find out together uh, how well you have done in putting this this together. It sounds like you got a good plan. I really did enjoy the game. That, that's no lie, no fluff. I really enjoyed it. I'm excited for people to hear it. it, it again, it'll start coming out a couple days after this airs. There's going to be four episodes total. I've already edited three and a half. I'm at the final battle for the in the fourth episode. It's all that's left. And then we do our traditional recap episode with just the players and we get together and we kind of give our overall thoughts, positives and negatives and that kind of thing. But it was a very positive experience. I really enjoyed it i think uh, it's it's a fun system and for me that's all that really matters is it's fun and i thought it's very interesting and I, I love the lore that you've put together so i hope people will take an opportunity click on the links in our show notes go over check it out and hopefully uh, support you guys with some money so that you can keep doing what you want to do which is create more and more cool stuff so any uh, any last words before we sign off tonight sherman thanks for having us Thank you for having us, and Dangus truly are the best race, even if he thinks they're not. <laughs> well, well, that will be. We'll let people make their own mind because I was pretty. I'm pretty passionate about Silians. I thought they were pretty awesome. I mean, you know, I represented well. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to see when I hear this, but it'll be soon. I thought it worked out really well, but I think you got everything wrapped up, ready to go. Just hit that button, get in the car, <laughs> and then see where you're at six hours later. Thank you so much. It was wonderful for you guys to play our game, and I'm so happy you actually enjoyed it. it That's fun. always been my biggest fear: is what if people don't like it? So very happy to hear. You I mean, like anytime it. you create anything, that's always the fear: is I love this thing. This is my child. What if the world thinks my child is ugly? <laughs> and people still might. There's a lot of people in the world, but I personally really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you so much for having us. Oh no problem. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, 
our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right.